Good morning, church. It's good to see you. It's good to see all the all the families together. It is a very, very special day for us here at Fellowship of Wildwood. And it's not just because we all got an extra hour of sleep, right? But we praise the Lord for that, right? We do, we do. And I know the Canaleja House does. But today, as Pastor Ryan said, it is a special day in the life of our church because it is Milestone Sunday. And now you might be asking yourself, well, what is Milestone Sunday? It's really an opportunity for our families here at uh, Fellowship of Wildwood to commit or recommit themselves to teaching and modeling God's Word through the power of His Spirit with a desire to see their children's hearts transformed by the power of the Gospel. And that same goal, desire, is the desire of our church to come alongside and to walk and encourage and equip and support families in that. And so today is one of our family worship Sundays, so we're, we're glad to have all of our kids in here with us as well with No Kids Church. And, and because of our kids being in here, I wanted to have a little fun. Are you okay having a little fun this morning? Yeah. Okay, okay, you're okay with having a little fun. What we're going to do is I'm going to get you to guess what I'm going to talk about this morning by looking at some of the slides that are up on the screen, okay? So let's go to the first one. Oh, we got some really cool characters here. We've got uh, up there at the top left, we've got Woody and Buzz. I'm sure all the parents know about Woody and Buzz, Toy Story. Uh, oh, some of my favorites over there to the right. Just had to put it in there. I'm a Star Wars nerd. Uh, but you've got Chewbacca and you've got Han Solo, right? And then down at the bottom, we got Batman and we got Robin. So is your mind going, where are we going? What are we doing with this stuff? Well, it gets even better. Let's go to the next one. Oh, do you know what that is? That's an Oreo cookie with milk, right? And if you've never eaten an Oreo this way, it's the best way to do it. You don't get your fingers wet in the milk and stuff like that. So slide your fork in that creamy goodness in the middle, right? And then stick it down. Oh, oh it's just wonderful, right? Okay, well, what does that have to do with anything? Let's look at the next one. Oh, chocolate and peanut butter. What a pairing, right? And then you have the Reese's peanut butter cup that just puts it together. It's just, just wonderful, wonderful, just ooey goodness. Sometimes you can even put it in the microwave a little bit, sort of get it really good. You can tell where my mind was as I was preparing the sermon, right? It's on food. What about the next one? Oh, I had to get healthy on you, right? Peas and carrots. And you might not know this about me, but I'm from Alabama. I'm not from Greenbow, Alabama. There's no Greenbow. But Jenny and Forrest were like, peas and carrots, right? And so, right? It's this, it's this togetherness. So what, what, is, what is this talking about? What, what are you doing? Where are you going? Some of y'all are going, what, what's going on? Pastor turned over the pulpit to this guy. We're going to talk about partnership this morning. Partnership. And what is a partnership? A partnership is a relationship that involves, look at this, a close cooperation where each party has responsibilities and roles. Okay? So a close cooperation where each party involved has differing responsibilities and roles. And I have a question. So we looked at a number of these partnerships, but are all partnerships good? Well, let's look at the next one. Found this. Salty black licorice Lay's potato chips. There are some things that just are not supposed to go together, right? Okay? I don't know of anything that goes with black licorice, honestly. 
But this is not the type of partnership we're thinking about. Let me ask you this about the next one. The church and the home. Is this a partnership? Is this a relationship of close cooperation where each party, both the home and the church, have differing responsibilities and roles? And if it is, what are those roles and responsibilities supposed to be? You see, is this partnership between home and church, is it sort of like Oreos and milk? Or is it black licorice and potato chips? How is this supposed to look? What, what is this milestone Sunday about as we bring families together to commit and recommit to teaching and modeling God's word and as a church to teaching and modeling God's word? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have the book that gives us answers, and it's called God's Word, the Bible. And so we're going to be talking about a biblical theology of children a biblical theology of children. And really what that means is we're looking at the Bible as our guide to faith and practice. And so we're saying, what does the Bible have to say about children? What does it have to say about family? So if uh, we're going to be moving from passage to passage here a little bit. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can look these up with me. Some of them are going to be up on the screen as well. The first thing that I want us to know that the Bible tells us about children is this. In Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, we find that children are valuable. Children have value. Now, what does that mean, that something has value? Well, the psalmist is going to give us some examples of what this value that children have looks like. Um, If you'll look with me there at Psalm, uh, the psalm, as the psalmist writes, Behold, it'll be up on the screen for you as well, Behold. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The Bible views children as valuable. Not just as something that's socially expected or a social norm that when a husband and a wife get married that there's the expectation of children. It's not just an expectation, a social norm. No, there's value. Children have value. And the, the psalmist here writes that children are an inheritance or a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In these ways... The the psalmist is trying to explain to us the importance and the value that the Lord himself places upon children that he places into our lives. And he gives us a beautiful illustration here of the warrior who has arrows in his hand. says, like the arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And if you're going into battle as a warrior, you don't just want one arrow in your quiver. No, you want multiple arrows. It, it reminds me of a show I used to watch when I was little. Uh, some of you young guys y'all, and girls, y'all are going to be like, what's that? Andy Griffith, right? And Andy made sure that Barney had one bullet, right? And that one bullet be kept right here, not in the gun, right? Because he couldn't be trusted. Here... Right? The psalmist says, no, it's not one, but no, it's good, it's from the Lord to have a quiver full of children. Right? To have arrows, abundance in this quiver as a warrior. 
Why? Because whenever you confront your enemies, whenever you're speaking to your enemies in this way, they will not, you will not be put to shame. In the world in which we live today, in the culture in which we live today, children are not often looked at as valuable in this way. You see, sometimes children are sort of a shame. Sometimes children are sort of a nuisance. Sometimes children are sort of a restriction on our freedom. Now, the restriction on our freedom, I just want to make this very clear point for all the parents out here, right? When you have children, you can't just say, oh, we're going to leave right now and we're going to go do something really fun, right? We're going to travel the world. No, children do restrict our freedom, but children also help remind us over and over again that the world does not revolve around us, nor should it, nor should we have that perspective. Nor should we allow our children to think that the world revolves around them. Because it does not. As a constant reminder. But their value is also found in another passage of scripture that I want you to look at. It will be up there on the screen for you. It's in Genesis chapter 33 and verse 5. Jacob is coming before Esau, his brother. He's, he's left. He's escaped uh, out of fear of Esau. He's coming back into the land that's been promised to his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and, and then Jacob. And, he, and Esau's going to picture him coming with uh, the multitudes. And I want you to see what Esau has to say uh, or see and then what Jacob has to say in reply to him. And when Esau lifted up his eyes... And saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Won't you see this? Children are a grace gift that has been given to you. They are a grace gift from God to you. Children were regarded during this time with divine favor, right? As something that was to be greatly desired. Not because they were valuable in what they could do for the parent, but valuable because of who they are. Who they are. Now, even as I mentioned this about children being grace gifts from God, I know in my heart strings already stir with some sorrow because me and my wife have walked through infertility and we have walked through miscarriage. And I understand the sorrow and the pain that comes with that. Understand that you want this grace gift. You want God to bless you in that way. And for some of us in this congregation, we've just not been able to receive that gift in the way maybe that we expect it even. But I want to tell you this, that you're not alone. You're not alone because me and my wife have walked that, but you're not alone in the Bible either. The Bible tells us about Sarah and Rebecca and Hannah and Elizabeth, all of them who had wombs that were closed at least for a period of time. But the Lord was intimately involved with each of them. You see, in the midst of our sorrow and grief, and and honestly, even in the midst, if you come here today, in the midst of anger and in the midst of fresh loss and grief, it's essential to note where your value and significance are to be found. You see, if you place your value and significance in wealth or education, or if you place it in your marital status, single, divorced, married, separated, if you place it in how many likes you'll get on Facebook for something that you post, if you place it 
in the number of children that you have or that you have children, guess what? All of that can be taken away. Just ask Job. But the question is, where is your value found and where is your significance found? And it comes from one place. Each and every one of us sitting here have been created in the image of God. Created in the likeness of our very creator. And because of that, we have value. We have significance that cannot be removed from us in any way. You see, we cannot look at God's great gifts, even children, no matter how wonderful they are, and let them define us. So maybe you're a couple out there and your heart is sorrowful even right now about not being given by God this gracious gift of having a child in the way that you want or maybe you've had miscarriages. That does not define you. Maybe you're a parent and you have a quiver full and you've been blessed with grace gifts upon grace gifts. My friend, my same response to you is this. That does not define you. The only thing that can define our value and our worth is that we have been created in the image of God with his very likeness stamped upon us. Not only do children have value, but children are also involved in God's kingdom program. Children are involved in God's kingdom program. I want you to listen to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Verse 10 through 15. This is as Moses is giving his third sermon to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. He wants to remind them of the commitment of the covenant that they made on Sinai or Horeb. And listen as he calls all the people together. Who's included? He says in 29 verse 10. You stand here today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders and your officers, and all the men of Israel. But it doesn't stop there. It says, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps, all the way from the one who has a menial task as far as the one who chops the wood to the one who draws the water. All of us are assembled here together, Moses says, so that we might reaffirm the covenant which the Lord your God has made with you and be, uh, place ourselves under this oath, oath which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, everybody was there, but look at verse 14. It says, now to the, uh, now, sorry, now not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here. Everybody was there except those who had not been yet born. And so God is saying this covenant program, this kingdom program that I have, oh, children are to be involved in it. Oh, children can be participants in it by trusting in Yahweh, by trusting in his rescue plan that's been given to us through the scriptures. Oh, children don't get a secondhand participant medal. You see, if the Holy Spirit resides in them because they are a follower of Christ, they are as much a child of God, as much as an heir as any of us. 
They don't take second seats or second place. They are not just the church of the future. They are the church of now. And they testify to us. Not only are they part of God's kingdom program, not only are they valuable, but they are also raised up to be an example for us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 2 through 6, Jesus has the disciples come to him and they're going to ask a very pointed question. They're going to ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they're hoping that he will say, they are because they have been walking with him. But yet he gives them a humbling illustration. Verse 2. And Jesus called a child to himself and set the child before them. I can picture sort of if Jesus had a table, right? Taking the little table, placing the preschooler up on the table and saying, now look at this child. Truly I say to you, unless you are turned and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Jesus exalts the role of a child as an example for all of us that the gospel is not this pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not do your best, do the most work that you can, and then God will redeem you. He'll, if you go halfway, God will go take you the other half of the way. No, God takes you the whole way. There is no salvation other than what God brings in the life by transforming the heart of both a child and also ourselves. The gospel is all of God, even as we talked about the last couple of weeks. Then Jesus gives us a dire warning in verse 6. It's up on the screen as well. But Whoever causes one of these little ones, whether that be a little one like a child or a little one that's little in their faith, it doesn't matter. It's the same. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone. I saw these when I was in Israel about three years ago. They're huge, massive stones that were used to to crush the wheat so that uh, the, the, the chaff would be able to be separated from what was needed. And so it's there. It's a huge, massive stone. And Jesus says, it'd be better to take one of those stones and tie it around your neck and to throw you into the deep depths of the sea and to be drowned than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now look at the example of humility of this child. Pay attention, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So children are valued. Children are part of God's kingdom program Children are an example, but children are also to be instructed. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6 expresses to us as Moses is giving not his third, but his second sermon in Deuteronomy. He makes sure that the, the children of Israel, before they go into the land, understand what their calling is to their own children. Chapter 6 verse 1 reads, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgment which the Lord your God has commanded me, Moses, to teach you. Look at that. So that it doesn't just stay with you, but that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you, 
Moses will talk about their hearts being right before God later in the passage. So that you, and look at this, and your son, but it doesn't stop there, and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commands, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. You see, Moses, communicating for God through his word, tells us that the place of primary instruction for children is in the home. The family takes the role of primary spiritual discipler, primary spiritual faith trainer in these ways. And I look out and I see some seasoned saints among us, right? I want you to notice that if you're a grandparent, it's not as though you can just check out of this process. You're involved in this process. The Bible calls you to be testifying of the things that God has done in your life. Grandparent, parent, let me ask a question. When's the last time or have you ever shared your God story, how God redeemed you, how God transformed your heart with your child or grandchild? Have you taken the time to make sure that they know that not only do you love them, but God loves them immensely? So how does this look, pastor? What does this look like? Moses tells us in verse 7 as he tells the children of Israel, you shall teach them these commandments, these statutes, diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in the house. Something that we all do, right? We're always in the house. So Moses is saying, in your planned preparation, in, in what you know is your scheduled routine, Make sure that you schedule opportunities for you to share the gospel and to share the, your God story with the children that are grace gifts in your home. But not just that. Moses says, when you walk by the way, when you're walking in such a way that something spontaneously happens. We had something like this happen recently in my family. Uh, my wife, who is much more of an outdoors person than I am, said, get in the car. I'm going to take you somewhere. So, okay. So we load up the car, we load up the dog, which I knew was different. And she says, let's go to Rockwood Reserve and let's walk the trails. So we get there. And Bella, my nine year old, we're walking and she begins to see the leaves fall. She looks and she says, God is so good. He's, he's given us that as a picture of his goodness. Do you think I took advantage of that? You better bet. Right? You're right, Bella. God is so good, and he gives his children such good gifts. When you see a rainbow in the sky, do you just stop? Or do you just keep going? Because it's a teaching moment. Oh, God has put the rainbow in the sky because he's hung his bow up in such a way that he's promised, and he always keeps his promises, that he'll never destroy all the earth with a flood again. And we can trust him. Take those spontaneous times to be able to instruct your children. But it also says when they lie down and when they rise up, these scheduled routines, these processes, these are the reasons for these milestones that we're doing. Opportunities for families and the church to confirm or to commit or recommit themselves to something that they did at maybe a 
prior time to walk and to model God's word before their children that are their grace gifts. You might be saying, oh, but that's just in the Old Testament. Well, no. In the New Testament, we find the same thing. In the two passages that are the only two commands concerning parenting in all of the New Testament, we find this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Once again, the, the parents, the family is to be the primary disciplers, the primary faith trainers. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So what is the role of the church if the, if the parents to be the primary discipler? Was well, to come alongside the parents. It's to equip and encourage and support families on their journey. To let them know that they're not alone on this task that's been given them. But it's not to take the reins. In another church that I was at, uh, it, it wasn't put this bl- bluntly to me, but uh, this, is, this is what it meant. This lady said, if, if I want my child to learn piano, I take them to a professional person who trains them in piano. If I want them to be a really good softball player, what am I going to do? I'm going to find a really good softball coach who's a professional, right? And because I want my child to know God... I'm bringing them to you. Do you know that's not what the Bible says? The Bible has called the church to come alongside and to support and equip and encourage parents along their journey. But it's not to take the reins and say, if you will just bring your child every time we have the doors open for some children's event, we can guarantee that everything's good. It does not work that way. broader theology that applies to children. First, they're made in the image of God. This is where their value is found. This is where your value is found. In fact, God has given me a gift. I want to make sure that that you understand this. God's given me a gift to be able to know how long all of us are going to live. Michelle, are you ready? Michelle, you will live forever. Caleb, do you know that you're going to live forever? All of us in this room will live forever. Now, it might not be on this earth. But when we don't have our minds set on eternity, we're consumed with the temporal. Rather than thinking about what God has done in creating us in the image of God and giving us a soul and a spirit that will live forever and ever. C.S. Lewis said it this way, If we aim for heaven, if we aim for eternity... You will get earth thrown in. But if you aim for earth, you will get neither one. Not only are we all made in the image of God, but we're all affected by sin. Sin is our disobedience towards God, our rebellion, our our heart of rebellion towards him to follow after our own way rather than his way. And the Bible calls that sin. And it's affected all of us. But yet we're not left there. The Bible also gives us the good news that we all need the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that God created all things, the heavens and the earth, and everything that's contained in them, and he said of it, it is very good. But it did not stay that way. 
Because man has a heart that desired other things in the place of God. And so man, Adam and Eve, desired the creature rather than the creator. Desired to worship themselves in some way rather than worshiping God. And because of that, there's eternal separation from God. But yet, at the very beginning of that eternal separation, God makes a promise that he will take care of the problem. He has a rescue plan, and he has a rescuer that he will provide to take care of our sin problem. And that promise goes on and on and on with things being added to said promise. Until Jesus comes, and he says, I am the long-awaited one. I am the rescuer of your souls. If you will believe and trust in me, if you will cling to me, if you will reject all the other ways that you think are possible to get to me, whether that's by good works, whether that's by being baptized, whether that's by going to church enough, you can't do any of those things and get this gospel. This gospel is that you release all of that and you say, I cling to you. I trust in you. And I trust in what you've done to redeem me. And then the promise of the gospel is that God will restore all things as he originally intended them to be. To close this morning, before we have our dedication, I want you to reflect on this quote that you'll see up on the screen. Imagine the difference if every leader, every volunteer, every parent, and I added every grandparent, we're on the same page, working toward the same end. May that be our heart's passion. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we come before you and we ask, Father, that you would inspire us, drive us to teach and model God's word. By the power of your spirit, not in something in and of ourselves, Lord. For we are faulty people. We are sinful people. But Lord, that we would teach and model God's word by the power of your spirit, with the aim, with the desire to see lives transformed. To see hearts transformed. By the only thing that can transform hearts and lives, the power of your gospel. We thank you so much, Lord for the opportunity to make much of you. These things we pray in your name. Amen.